0: But you take just a moment to get ready for that. So, while they're getting ready, I'll be uh, encouraging you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 is where we'll begin reading in just a few moments. I'm sorry, I made mean, this fifth Sunday and I just made a mistake. So, it's the only one I've made today. All right? But, uh, yeah, children are going to worship with their families today. I am so sorry. Fifth Sunday happens four times a year, and us preachers we forget it every time uh, we get sideways. But thank you, and I do apologize for that. So we'll worship together today. It's just kind of in my my repertoire, I guess. But anyhow, Colossians chapter four, verse two, and now we're going to read through verse six in just a moment. And I want to tell you while you're turning there that um, I had planned to preach verses two through six today. And as I send everything to Miss Carey for the screens, I realized that uh, your uh, cerebral cortex would only absorb as much as your gluteus maximus can endure. Uh, so, so I just realized that what was going what now has become two weeks. So, nevertheless, it'll take me two weeks to get through uh, this portion and next. But well, we'll talk about mainly verses two, three, and four today. And then verses five and six next week, but it's all in the same context, so we want to read it together in just a moment. But I want to say to you, that's what's wonderful about the Word of God, is I'm so grateful God has given me over three decades in ministry, and then almost 30 as a pastor, and and, and the Word of God has been my guide. The Word of God has been uh, everything, and it's become more precious to me as the years have gone by. And I've realized that if I lived 100 lifetimes, I'd never be able to exhaust even a percentage of the truth that is in this book. And so uh, that's why sometimes when it takes a little longer, it takes another week or whatever, that's okay because here's my goal. When you leave here today, I always tell you, I don't want you to ever go away and say, well, What a great sermon. I want you to go away saying, What a great Savior. Amen. I really do because he's, he's what we're all about. It's not about me and it's not about anything that I can bring to the table, but it's the fact of what he did for us on Calvary and what he is doing. in. And this is what's amazing for the child of God today is that it's not just what he did on Calvary and that finished work there. It is that work that he continues to do. You know, we'll talk about it a little bit, probably at some point. Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 1 6, you can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, continue it, perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. So he's still working. Amen. Colossians chapter 4, verse. Two, If you found your place and physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians chapter 4 and uh, verse 2. And here's what the word of God says. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ." For which I am also in chains That I may make, make it manifest as I ought to speak Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside Redeeming the time Let your speech always be with grace Seasoned with salt That you may know how you ought to answer each one Father in Jesus name I pray you to add your blessing to the reading of your word my prayer today is that the Son of God would be glorified through the preaching today and that lives would be forever changed. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much and be seated. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question how important and powerful are the words that we speak? We know that the power of speech is a gift from God. And that God has given us speech to be used for his glory. The Bible has a lot to say when it comes to our mouth, doesn't it? What we say and what we speak. On one occasion, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. And he told them in Matthew chapter 12 verse 34 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you talk with people very long and you listen to what they say, it is a direct correlation to what is in their heart. It's important. It may be about what they do for a living. It may be about their family. But I hope for Christians, as much as we talk about those things and they are important, I hope that we would be mindful to talk of our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was literally telling these folks that the mouth declares... What feels the heart? Jesus gave us an important spiritual principle, and that is this, is that speech will reflect the kind of person that we truly are. The book of James teaches us much about the tongue also by teaching us that the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. One man once said that the strongest muscle in the body is without a doubt the tongue because it is the only one that has the ability to break a man or woman's heart. How true that is. Well, because that the tongue can speak so easily, and because it can easily move, it is often difficult to control, and a person's speech becomes the truest indicator of their spiritual state. Today, as we look at this passage in Paul's letter to the church (coughs) at Colossae, we realize that he is beginning to drive home to them the importance of living a lifestyle that is consistent with the testimony of Jesus Christ. I've shared with you before and I'll remind you again that being a Christian literally means a little Christ, a direct representation of the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So what Paul knew was this. He knew that he was God's representative He was a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was to declare the truth of God's Word to the people he came in contact with. And he also knew that his mission in life was to reach people with the gospel and train them to demonstrate the lifestyle characteristics of Jesus Christ to a very lost and dying world. Now, there are a couple of major things I want to emphasize to you today and I want to bring to your attention from the text. As I said, we'll focus mainly on verses 2, 3, and 4 today, and it's really my heart's desire and my life's calling today that each of you who name the name of Christ (coughs) would truly become fully equipped as a follower of Christ, that you would be a demonstration of devotion. That the people who know you and meet you on a regular basis and meet you from day to day would see you as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Not someone who is Christian in name only, which is impossible, but someone who embodies what it means to walk with God. First thing I want you to notice today as we talk about a demonstration of devotion is notice that Paul talked to them about a focused prayer life. This is where we'll spend the majority of our time together today. You see, a person who is devoted to the Lord <coughs> will be a person who do, does not minimize the need or the effect of regular, consistent communication with God. We talked this morning in our prayer room before <coughs> we came into Sunday school and worship, and I talked with them about how we must Be grateful for the great price that was paid so that we would even have the opportunity to call on the name of God. On our war room wall in Genesis chapter 4, the very first mention of prayer anywhere in Scripture was after the fall of man. And the Scripture literally says at that point in history that men became... Thank you, brother. You are the man, Nate. Hey, Nate's going to Utah with me and I'm going to need a lot of that. But anyhow, I can already tell. But... This is the first scripture, first mention of prayer in scripture where it says that men began to call on the name of the Lord. And since that time, can I tell you? That men, women, boys, and girls have continued to call on God. But what makes it amazing and so exciting for me in the day we live in is as New Testament born-again, blood-bought children of God through the blood of Jesus is when we call on God, we can actually enter into the very Holy of Holies, to the throne room of God, to the mercy seat, unlimited access without the help or aid of any other person because of what Jesus did on Calvary. That ought to cause us to have a little bit of a focused prayer life. Amen? I think so. So it's been said that prayer is the most important speech that can be uttered from the mouth of a child of God. Prayer is the strength of our fellowship with the Lord. I really believe that. And it's the source of our power to stand against Satan. They said, well, I want to tell you, when you, have, when you have a relationship with somebody, you want to have fellowship with them, amen? And when you have fellowship with them, it is strengthened through your communication. If you never talk to someone, you don't have strong fellowship. Many Christians miss out on that opportunity of talking to God on a regular basis, and it doesn't ever change our relationship, but it can cause a strain in our fellowship. So it's important we understand that. And it is our ability to stand against Satan is directly tied to our communication and the closeness of our fellowship with God. But notice how Paul speaks to the church Concerning the necessity of fervent prayer. Here's the first thing he talks about in verse 2. He talks about obedience in prayer. He says these words, continue earnestly in prayer. Now the Greek word for continue means this, to be courageously persistent. And it means to hold fast and refuse to let go. Isn't that what Jacob did when he wrestled with God? He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And boy, God touched him, didn't he? He touched him in his heart and he touched him in his hip. And he walked with a limp the rest of his days. It was a constant reminder of the night that God touched him. Oh, that is good stuff. Now, living as an obedient Christian is very important. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said this. He said, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. Wow. Last night before I went to bed, I clipped on YouTube. And I watch some little clips of Adrian and I watch some of Leonard Raven Hill, some of those old, some old Tozer and some of those guys, and, and just watch some things and just listen to some things. And when it disturbed my spirit to say, "Oh God help me," because years ago, back in the early 2000s, I got a hold of a book that was written in the mid-'60s. It was by Leonard Ravenhill, and it was called "Why Revival Terryries." And I thought, oh, my Lord and my God, if, we, if that man could step on the scene today and he could see what's taking place in this world, if revival was tearing in the 1960s, my brothers and my sisters, oh, in today's society, how we need a move, a sweeping movement of the power and the Spirit of God across this nation and across this world. And it retarries because of us. And because of us. See, living an obedient, persistent prayer life is not an option for the Christian. It is an order from the Lord himself. So how do you know that, preacher? Well, I got a Bible, and here's what the Bible tells me. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that Jesus said that men ought always to pray and do not lose heart. Wow. Wow. Well, wait a minute, preacher. That's just one example. Well, Jesus, yeah, that should be good enough, but I'll give you another one. The apostle Paul also instructed Timothy as he pastored the church there at Ephesus concerning the Lord's will for the people to cry out to him in prayer when he wrote these words in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, where he said, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Oh, what God might do! If his men would pray and not lose heart, what God might do if his men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, what God might do. Oh, I read about George Mueller. Y'all ever heard of him? (laughs) He had quite a testimony as a prayer warrior. He's known as one of the greatest prayer warriors of all time. And here's what Mueller said about persistence in prayer. He said, it is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word in prayer when our enjoyment is gone. As if it were of no use to read the scriptures, we do not enjoy them as if we were, and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the Word of God, the less we will desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we will desire to pray. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is an old-time prayer warrior from days gone by, and he's saying this. He's saying this. He said, listen, God's Word will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Word of God. And the longer you go without the influence of the Word of God, you'll think you're all right. But I'm here to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There are crises coming in all of our lives. There are crisis moments coming coming for all of us and I'm here to tell you that a steady diet of the word of God and steady communication with the throne room of God can help you through those things and will be your anchor in the storm. Oh God help us. Obedience and prayer. But he tells us something else in verse 2. He also talks about an overflow of praise. He says be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Well this is the fifth time in this letter that Paul mentions expressions of gratitude for the blessings of God. God been good to anybody in this house today? Woo! I'm just gonna tell you, that'd be all of us. We on top of the dirt. The dirt ain't on top of us. Amen? All of us got some clothes to wear. Looks like y'all had breakfast this morning. Amen? Thinking about something this afternoon. All that kind of stuff. God's been good, hasn't he? Sure he has. Five times in this letter he reminds us of that. And here's what Paul's done. He has taught us to be grateful for our salvation. He's taught us to be grateful for our spiritual growth. He has taught us to be grateful for our fellowship with Christ in the church. He has taught us to be grateful for our opportunities to serve him. And now he is teaching us to be grateful for the guarantee that God will answer our prayers in accordance to his purpose. You ever heard people say, why? We got a lot of folks got bad theology about prayer. A lot of folks got what I call the Garth Brooks theology. No, Garth's a songwriter and a singer, but he ain't a theologian. <laughs> oh, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. There's only one problem with that. There is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Amen. I know some of you going home, so i tell you right now, that preacher has done gone from preaching to meddling. He's messing with Garth. Look here, look, look, here, look, here, look, here, look here. I'm not messing with Garth, and I'm, not saying, I'm just saying, look here. Don't get your theology from the radio. Get your theology from the Word of God. Oh, amen. There is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God answers every prayer that his children pray. But it's just a matter of how he chooses to answer. You say, wait a minute, he didn't give me what I wanted. He, he didn't answer my prayer. Oh, yes, he did. He just said no. <laughs> I mean, I used to hear this song when I was a little boy called, My Maserati goes 185. You remember that? I remember thinking one time. And I heard a preacher say, Ask and it shall be given to you. Lord, I want a Maserati, go 185. <laughs> yeah, I didn't drive up in it this morning because the Lord said 185, you'd be done. <laughs> no, no. Now, sometimes he says no, and we don't like that answer, but it's still an answer. You're growing up, you ask your mom and daddy, can I go somewhere, can I do this? And they said no. It wasn't that they didn't answer your request. They just did not answer in the way you liked There's other ways God answers and it's not because sometimes he gives us exactly what we ask for. And he says, yes, go. You're praying in God's will. It's in God's will. And he's fine with that. And he gives us exactly what we ask for. Here's one we really struggle with. It's when he answers by saying, wait. I don't like that answer, do you? Now let's be honest, I know y'all thinking, sure I do, preacher, I'm spiritual, it's from the Lord. If the Lord says wait, I'm fine, because he's God, I'm good, there's no worries, no makuna matamba, whatever am I. Uh, You can feed that line to somebody else, because I know you don't like to wait no more than I do. None of us like to wait, but has God ever made you wait? And then later answered what you asked for in the way, and you thought, man, I'm so glad he didn't give me that when I asked for it. No, God does. He always answers prayer, He just does not answer in the way we like. But regardless, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. So, because of these admonitions for us to be grateful to God, here's what Paul was saying it's okay. For there to be an overflow of praise from your heart because of the obedience you've expressed in prayer and it's okay to overflow because of the goodness and the grace of God. One of my favorite songs on radio right now is that song, The Goodness of God. I don't know if you like that or not. That's okay. But it says in the chorus, All my life you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And you know what? You know what happens sometimes? I just have a little overflow spell. <laughs> I can tell some of y'all hadn't had one of them in a while. And I'm going to tell you right now it'd do you good just have a spell. I had a spell not too long back. Of all places, I was on the weed eater. I do a lot of weed eating at my house, and I got me one of them handlebars. You know, nothing reveals the ego of a man more than this weed eater, right? I I got the handlebars. I'm, I'm slaying grass. I'm slaying this, and I put the blade on it, and I'm taking down trees with a single swipe, you know? And I just began to think about the goodness of God. And I looked and said, God, I don't know why you blessed me the way you have. I've I failed you so many times. I, God, I've I've had a lack of faith so many times. I've been short-sighted so many times. And God, I I have been reluctant to follow you because I was, I I wasn't sure you knew what you were doing. And, and, and God, I'm I'm sorry. And you know what? And he begins to speak to my heart, and he says, Hold oh, son. <laughs> Oh son You know what he said You don't know how much joy you bring to me And I thought me Then I got to thinking about it I raised two girls And you know what They weren't perfect Neither was their daddy Their mama was But their daddy wasn't And you know what I think about You know what They messed up from time to time And they had to be disciplined And they had to be corrected And all this kind of stuff But do you know how much joy they bring to me My favorite people to hang out with other than their mamas, my adult kids. I'm going to eat dinner with them this evening. And they're going to let me by. (laughs) But can I tell you what? It don't matter. It don't matter one bit because this side of heaven, if I can spend a little time in their presence, you know why? And God began to speak to my heart and said, son, don't your little girls that are now grown women, don't they bring joy to you when you think about them? I said, yes, Lord, they do. Were they perfect? No, Lord, they weren't. He said, son, you aren't perfect, but I went to the cross so that you could be made the righteousness of God. I took your sin upon myself. You bring joy to me. Woo! <laughs> Amen. God is good. And can I tell you, you bring joy to God's heart even in your human mistakes. You know what really brings him joy? is when you come back before him and say, oh God, I've broken your heart and I repent of my sin and I plead the blood of Calvary on my sin. That brings him a lot of heart. You say, preacher, you just don't understand. I mean, you live in some dream world, I guess. Preacher, you don't realize I've been through a lot of things lately. And because I'm so overwhelmed by my troubles, I just can't seem to give God thanks for anything. Can I tell you, I do understand. And there are people all around you that understand. Because there are people all across this building that have either been overwhelmed or being overwhelmed or will be overwhelmed. Adrian used to say it best. He said, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm. You're either headed into one, going through one, or headed to your next one. Amen? Amen? We do understand. Satan is constantly trying to use your failures. He's trying to use any failure of your past to poison your future, to keep you from accomplishing the perfect will of God for your life. Why? Because he wants to poison you for what Satan tempted you in the past. He doesn't want you to look toward those things that are ahead of you that God has placed ahead of you, those opportunities, those people that need you. He doesn't want to see you that. So you say, well, I just feel like I'm out there in the hallway and I don't know which door to open. Don't try to open any of them. Just lift your hands and praise him in the hallway and wait till he opens the door. And when he opens the door, run through it. Oh, preacher. Winston Churchill said success is not final, failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. It's good stuff. See when we're persecuted for standing for the word of God ladies and gentlemen Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 5 where he said blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven can somebody say amen to that great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you if you deal with those things you're in good company yeah when we're persecuted for our standing for the word of God and the son of God we ought not to think some strange thing has come upon us persecution is often evidence that we belong to God there's a third thing I want you to notice today not only obedience and prayer overflow of praise but notice the opportunities to proclaim look at verse 3 and 4 Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. Boy, y'all, oh, that's good. What? To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Y'all ever heard of a guy named John Bunyan? He's the cousin of Paul. You know, Paul Bunyan. No, no. <laughs> anyway, John Bunyan was a Puritan and I somebody gave me a book one time, Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, quite an eye opener somebody introduced me to John Bunyan and they introduced me to C.S. Lewis and some of these different things that I had mere Christianity in some of those books but I read about John Bunyan one time he got arrested for preaching he was preaching and they put him in prison and he was told me, he said look here Mr. Bunyan we're going to let you out we're only going to let you out under one condition. That one condition is this. You must promise us that you're going to stop preaching the gospel. Here's why he replied. If I am out of prison today, I will preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. <laughs> you know what he's saying? Whether I'm in here or whether I'm out there, I'm going to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think by threatening me or you think by persecuting me or saying you're going to put me back in here if I'm out there preaching, you might as well just keep me because as soon as I get out the door, I'm going to be preaching the word of God. Wow. It's alarming today what we see even in our own Southern Baptist Convention. In 2006, we hit a high of 16.3 million members, the largest Protestant denomination in the world. In 2021, that number has dwindled to 13.7 million. We are at our lowest level in 40 years. Here's what Leonard Ravenhill said again He said, I live in a world that has lost its way, and in a church has lost its voice wow when I read about these things I read so many different things I read so many different people because we're all looking for answers aren't we We're all looking for how we can turn the tide, how we can see God do something great again. Tom Rainer said this. He said, I pray that all of us would see an urgency at this moment. We must take the great commission, the heart of what we do, and make it that. The latest numbers should be received with broken spirit and a God-given determination to reach people for Christ. Michael Catt he said this why are all these numbers down in the SBC he said it's because we've moved away from the altar call the mourner's bench and the cry to come to Jesus wow I want you to hear my heart today facts are our friends some people don't want to be confused with the facts because they already have their mind made up right but facts are our friends There is a problem in the land today. This problem has nothing to do with the government or our economy. Nothing. These problems have everything to do with you and I who claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. These statistics I just shared with you a moment ago, they also should cause us to make this question. What are we going to do about it? Uh, think about the, folk, the people lately you've had an opportunity to share the gospel or maybe invite to Sunday school or worship. Uh, who have you prayed with lately? Who have you looked for the opportunity to share the gospel? Who have you looked to show kindness and be a blessing to? And I want you to know those things are so vitally important to where we go from here. I thought about so many things, and I read this from Ray Comfort. He said this, a man who's on fire moves rather quickly. You ever seen anybody who was on fire and they started singing Bruce Springsteen, I'm on fire? No, they didn't do that. They said, I'm on fire. Somebody help me. And they started and you had some first grader over in the corner say, Hey, stop drop and roll. Because they, they've been taught what to do. And, and you begin looking for but he's moving quickly. Why? Looking for a way to get some relief. Now, a man who's on fire for God, he's not looking for relief. He's looking for somewhere to release the fire and to pass the fire on the people who have wet wood. Amen. See, the reason many professing Christians today have no urgency in sharing the gospel, simply this, you're just not on fire. The reason many churches today are reluctant to share the gospel and to equip their people to be on mission with God beyond the walls of the church is because we're not on fire. God help us. So my question is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Statistics tell us that probably 10% of the population of our county is in a worship service this morning. 10%. That means about 1,500 people, if statistics are true, 1,500 people out of 15,000 in this county are actually in church, while 13,500 are everywhere else. Now, now, now hear me me clearly. Coming to church don't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, you ought to want to go. Amen? Amen? If you're going to be a good one, you need to go. Cause you can't be a good follower of Jesus out there under the oak tree with you and your persimmons and all that kind of stuff you're going to have to go get with God's people and congregate together and get on mission with God with others if you're going to be a good follower of Jesus it's just not possible for you do it the way preacher you say well our prayers and fulfilling our purpose will it really make a difference in the world preacher I'm pretty insignificant I'm not very important I don't know that I could ever make a difference. I believe you can. I'll share something with you I shared on a Wednesday night quite some time ago. I don't believe I've ever shared it on Sunday morning. But I want to tell you the story of a man whose name is Ed Hill. And you probably don't know Ed Hill, but I bet a bunch of you have heard of E.V. He pastored the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, in the Watts area, a very crime-ridden area. Even though it was rough for 42 years, he pastored that church until 2003 when he died at the age of 69. Here's what Jerry Falwell said about E.V. Hill. He said, even in the darkest times in that community, Dr. Hill always pointed people toward their only hope, which is Jesus Christ. He went on to write a couple of books one called A Savior Worth Having and another called Victory in Jesus in his book A Savior Worth Having he begins to tell the story of his life I want you to stay with me for about two, three minutes and we're done he told the story of his life how he was one of five children raised by a single mother it was during the time of the Great Depression in rural Texas and the woman that he called mama was not even his mama she was no relation to him But she raised those boys, and she announced to the church when he was in the ninth grade, she said in a prayer meeting, she said, my boy, Ed, he's going to graduate high school. And you say, well, that was not a big deal. Oh, it was a big deal, rural Texas, during the Depression, five children raised by one mother that wasn't even your mother. It really was a big deal because most young men in his area dropped out of school in the 10th grade and began working for $2 a day. But Ed Hill finished high school just as his mama said he would. Then she said this, my boy Ed, he's not just going to finish high school, he's going to go to college. So here's what she did. She didn't just say, go figure it out. She got involved. She got in the game. She bought him a bus ticket. She bought him a suit of clothes, gave him a couple of pair of blue jeans and some shirts, and she took him to the bus station, gave him $5 and said, Ed, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) By the time he got to Prairie View College, he had a dollar and 83 cents left. Out of that dollar and 83 cents, it cost him 25 cents to catch a bus from the city out to the Prairie View campus. He stood in line at the registrar's office and he saw a sign that said this: $83 cash check, cashier's check, or money order. You say, well, $83, that's no big deal. If you've got kids in school right now, $83 is a drop in the bucket. But can I tell you, during the Depression in rural Texas, a single mom of five, $83 might have well been eighty-three million. He sees that sign and he don't have any money. He doesn't know what to do. And guess what happened? as Satan is so accustomed to do he shows up in our times of despair when we feel there's no way out and he begins to whisper into his ear and he begins to tell him Say, look here son what you need to realize is you have no business being here you, your mama's a single parent she's not even your mama you, you finished high school that's good but I want to tell you you don't have any business being here but you know what as loud as Satan began to speak his mama's voice was just a little bit louder He heard his mama's voice in his ears. She said, I'll be praying for you. So he decided to stay in line. As he was just about to step up to the counter, someone came up, put their hand on their shoulder and said to him, oh, excuse me, sir, are you Ed Hill? (laughs) Man, he said, yes, sir, I am. He said, you about to register for classes? He said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get out of line and come over here with me. He thought they found me out. They know I don't have any money. They're fixing to send me back home, and I don't even have the money to get home. But they walked off to the side. And here's what the man said. Son, didn't you get our letter? <laughs> he said, what letter? He said, we've been trying to contact you for weeks. And, and, and he said, well, what did the letter say? He said, the letter said that we're giving you a four-year scholarship It'll pay your tuition, room, board. You'll have all you want to eat. And we're going to give you $35 a month spending money. (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but he went from the dungeon to the catbird seat in a heartbeat. Amen? They said, wait a minute. I'm about to have to get out of line. I don't have any business being here. I'm just a broke boy from rural Texas. I've got $1.83. I don't even have that much anymore. I just gave a quarter to ride the bus out here. They want $83. There's nothing I do. But I just kept listening to what my mama said. And she's going to be praying for me. And if she's praying for me, something good's going to happen. And somebody comes up and says, you're going for free. We're going to pay you school. We're going to pay you food. We're going to pay for your place to stay. We're going to buy you books. And we're going to give you eighty $35. $5 a month for you to go to the show on. Ain't this a good deal? Amen. Amen. God is good. Hill said he heard his mama saying I'll be praying for you. So what was Dr. Hill doing then? He was living out what he'd been taught. He was demonstrating his confidence in his teacher. Ultimately, our teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible tells us about what he demonstrated for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, let me leave you with it. Look here. That's what he did. Now, the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I told you earlier I'd end with this. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Here's my question, and here's the imitation. If you are a child of God, he's begun a good work in you. Right, he's done a good, good work in you. Okay. And he says he's not gonna give up on you. Did y'all hear that? Y'all need to go home today. And you need, I mean, you need to go home and eat dinner. Days so, and wait a minute. I didn't hear nothing the preacher said, but I heard this. He told me that as a child of God, that my father will never give up on me. Yeah. Wait, but have you given up on him? I never forget. Years ago. I was pastoring and God really, I, it was time to go. God really released me and I was moving to another ministry. I didn't want to. I never took anything looking for the next place. I'm certainly not doing that now. Y'all, y'all are like, please, we were hoping you were. No, 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 I'm not. I never went anywhere looking for nothing. I went to my first church prepared to stay there the rest of my life. And I would have had been the will of God but I had a friend that wasn't there the day I resigned he got all upset and sometimes that happened the next day he come by to see me he sat down on tailgate truck with me he said I was really upset <clears throat> when I heard you resign he said and I began to listen to the devil and he said look at you preacher just quit on you and he said but God said to me no son y'all quit on him a long time ago (laughs) that's what he said he said preacher you didn't quit on us we quit on you and I just said to him I said bud regardless of what's in the past can I encourage you to not quit on God because he'll never quit on you. See, as a pastor, I've never want to point people to me. I've never want to put myself up here. I really want to be down here serving, you know. But I've really tried to make a big deal out of Jesus. I've really tried to elevate him because he'll never let you down. So what are you going to do? Are you going to give up on him? kind of hard to give up on somebody that's promised you they won't give up on you. But if you have, here, here's my rope, not my rock, my rope. If you have or you feel like you have, well, the Spirit of God has said, hey, you're not where you used to be. You're not there close anymore. Here's my rope. Come to Jesus. See, Michael Kat said we quit telling people to come to Jesus. He's right, but I'm going to tell you what. Not, my, not me. I plead with people to come to Jesus every week. I'm telling you, come to Jesus. He's your lifeline, not your preacher, not your church. He's your lifeline. Come to Jesus. Let's get it right. Let's be a demonstration of devotion. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray your word has gone forth as you desire and that lives will be changed at this invitation may someone grab a hold of that rope today and come to you and may you add to this church daily those who are being saved in Jesus name Amen if you would. I want you to know it's this invitation. You can take it one of few ways. One is, hey, we're almost out of here. Or two, I hope the way you'll take it, is here's an opportunity for my eternity and the eternity of others to be affected forever in these next few minutes. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, I encourage you, please give us the opportunity. You say, well, I don't know what, just take that very first step. We'll be here to meet you. If you're a child of God and you're not where you need to be, you, you know, look here, he's pulling you in. Be restored to good, full fellowship with him today. And whatever God's leading you to do, you just honor God with your decision. But Marty, you lead us when you're ready. You come. It's our prayer this morning. <clears throat> I am Thine, Lord, I... that chorus with Marty. Sing it, Marty. be seated while they're being seated I want ushers will be coming and they're coming I want to encourage you to be faithful as always you know something else I heard Raven Hill said last night he said a man will never be greater than his prayer life why to keep us all in check won't it so many times we get so busy in our communication we got all these modes of communication now don't we supposed to make our lives so much simpler (laughs) and uh, I don't know that that's happened at all probably more complicated but thankfully uh, you youngins don't know what this is but we used to have this thing when we called somebody and they were on the phone it was called a busy signal (laughs) remember that? was not that the most frustrating thing in the world? Now people would literally throw the phone through the wall. They could not handle not being able to get through to who they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted, and you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I saw an old buddy the other day. My UPS buddy. He told me the other day. He said, "Man, he said, preacher, are you always <laughs> on the move?" I said, "It's hard to hit a moving target. So I have to, hey, I, I have to be on the move." Uh, but nevertheless. Um, yeah, a busy signal. Thank God that in heaven, there's never been one, nor will there ever be. That there used to be a day, youngins, when we didn't have voicemail. I remember when they came out with we'll call waiting. Y'all remember that? You'd have to click the thing down. Oh man, I've lived through some stuff, and I'm not even that old. Think about how some of y'all lived through some real stuff. <laughs> Oh, me. But as we give today, let's give from our hearts joyfully and cheerfully. And let's just trust God to do great things through our giving. And just know that I'm praying for you, and I know you're praying for me, that we'd all be faithful. And this is one area I want to tell you to keep you close to God is weekly or biweekly, whenever you're paid, casting your dependence on God to provide for things for you. You watch the news, they'll tell you the price of gas is high, and it is. The price of groceries is high, and it is. The price of everything's high, and it is. But thank God the price of obedience is still the same. Let's just be faithful. And let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house together today and to
1: just pray uh, your blessings upon this year.
0: Before we uh, dismiss today, don't forget this week, uh, the office will be closed tomorrow for the holiday. We'll be back open on Tuesday. Uh, If you need anything, my number's on the front of the bulletin, we'll be glad to help you. Uh, Don't forget also, uh, uh, Wednesday night, we'll be back in for uh, our children, students, and adults, everybody at 6 o'clock, and we just want to tell you, we're just looking forward to see you here then then Bible school next Sunday, man, I am, woo yeah, and still, Miss Carrie, I know you'll be down here in just a minute, Uh, if you are... uh uh, interested, all of them in serving in any capacity of Vacation Bible School. Just see Miss Carrie, or ask some of the guys back here at the back, or in the Welcome Center. They'll guard you in the right, um, guard you, guide you in the right way. I tell you, I've been messing up all kind of stuff today. I tell you, Nate, you're going to write that sermon better next week. All right? <laughs> I always messin', Nate or Carly. I'll ask them on Sunday. I'll say, have y'all got me ready. They said, what? I said, well, what am I going to say? I need y'all to write these sermons. I said, people will like them better. Had this minister of music tell me one time Marty, he said, "You know, being a minister of music, hard. said, we sing and singing these joyful songs, and people look like they had a hog killing. You know." And he said, "He, said, he says it's just it's just depressing, preacher. You got to help me." I said, "Brother, I can't help you." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You think." I said, you're singing joyful songs. What if you had to go tell them what I gotta go tell them? <laughs> oh me, but you gotta laugh. You gotta laugh. You do. But I'm telling you, it's been good today, today. I pray you have a great holiday and a great week. Know we're praying for you. No, I love you. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen. Let's stand together. Marty's gonna sing us out, and I'll meet you around front. Your my brother, you